Welcome to the Conduit Deeper Podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series. From current events to fascinating finds to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to our Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, campus pastor, Conduit Church, joined with our lead pastor, Darren Tyler. And... um. We're back after a little bit of a snow break. Yep. We had snow fly through Franklin, Tennessee this past weekend, and uh, it canceled services on Sunday. Snow and ice, it was a pretty big mess. But the problem is we have had nine and a half inches of snow in Nashville in the month of January. That seems like a lot. Already. Yeah, no, it's 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 uh, we're on our we're on our way to setting a record. Wow, uh, we've had three snowstorms in the month of January in Nashville, and all of the people that have moved here from California um, are not pleased <laughs> because they thought they were moving to the uh, to the warm South. Right, it has betrayed us. Yeah, those folks who say that they uh, they really want to be a place where they can get all four seasons. That sounds good on paper ish. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. You're getting all four seasons. I just we just probably expected them to be a little more mild. Yeah, and that's the, the thing about Tennessee, especially. It's like we're on this line of demarcation. Yeah, of where it could get real bad or just nothing at all, and almost it's like oh, I four. It seems like every weather report. Oh, it could be north of I forty or south of I forty. Yeah, and, for sure. Um, this time it was uh, south of uh, forty. We well, got, the problem is, you know, I moved here from Ohio twelve years ago. And, um, and so, you know, I've grew up in pretty harsh winters, Mm -hmm. um, as did you as a northerner. Yeah. Nebraska, bro. Yeah. The, the, the problem though, the the past couple of years is that we're getting more snow in Nashville than my parents are back in Ohio. And more than in Nebraska. (laughs) They got rain last week. (laughs) It's like, I'm like sending these pictures to my mom and she's like, wait, what? Like we're getting nothing. And the thing is, you know, here's the thing. Almost every city I've ever been in, they they all say the same thing. Oh, we have the worst drivers. They're the worst drivers. Sure. Um, the, the thing is, and especially for you know, for us that have just been, we've we've received a lot of of uh, immigrants from the West Coast, mm. uh, refugees, a lot of migration. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's like the reverse of the grapes of wrath. <laughs> These are the grapes of we're getting out of here. And. Uh, and in, and in fairness to them, like, you know, if you've never driven on snow before, it's not intuitive. There's some there's a learning curve. Yeah. It, but then you combine that with the fact that uh, our city, our area, just doesn't have removal equipment like we have back yeah, home. No resources. So, and, and, you know, why would you? It's like, a, you know, usually a couple days a year and, you know, it'll melt by, you know. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. And so there's no sense in buying a whole bunch of equipment that you're not going to use. And But, man, lately... Uh, feels like we might need to buy a couple extra trucks. Yeah, I feel like I could, feel like I could do well with a side hustle. Yeah, uh, plowing parking lots and and salting uh, lots and drives. Did you shovel snow when you were a kid to make money? Like Absolutely. Right? How much was it for a sidewalk when you were a? Man, I remember getting. Now this was this was in the nineties. I remember getting maybe twenty bucks. Jeez, a lot. Rich kids, man. Seriously? Yeah, like Wait. a driveway. Oh, a driveway. Okay. Do okay. a driveway for okay. twenty bucks, and then I I lived on a cul-de-sac, <clears throat> so I mean I instant I already knew I had a hundred dollars right sitting there every time it snowed because there were like five houses. That's real money in the nineties. Wow, I was like minimum uh, wage was four bucks an hour, man. Nine, ten, exactly. It was like ten years old, eleven years old. I saw it as an opportunity. I was making I was making pretty good money. Me and my brother, we would team up. We would go we go halfies and just. Dominate. Dominate it. <laughs> and then I'd go spend it all on baseball cards. I spent it on Atari games. Yeah, which both of those have pretty good value to, to this day. Oh, boy, I sure wish I'd have known that. We um, So we would do the same thing. We'd uh, we'd get the shovels out and go knocking on doors. Yeah. But, man, in the 80s, bro, it was like five bucks. <laughs> five bucks in a in a hot chocolate. And we were pretty grateful. And some of them like paid in food stamps and stuff. <laughs> like, we were, like We weren't like the oh, no. We weren't like the richest. I'm actually only kind of kidding. Um. Back then, it was actually they had like stamps, like it was uh, right. Actual now it's like stamps, cards, yeah. but we had like I was so, I hate it. It was so embarrassing to go to store yeah. with my mom with these little uh, pieces of paper, mm-hmm. like Monopoly money. But um, 
But yeah, for five bucks, uh, and we didn't have driveways in our town. Not a lot of driveways. Okay. Um, Walkways. Yeah, we had a lot of sidewalks. Sidewalks. And uh, you know, yeah, we'd get out there and did you? Out, you could get like an Atari game in an afternoon. Like you get like five uh, sidewalks in twenty five bucks. Would you upcharge and, and apply salt? Was that a uh, an upcharge? Uh, no, I did, actually I didn't even know where we would go. I don't remember ever anyone ever using salt <laughs> where I was from. Where I was from um, in Nebraska. It was like a lost cause. So eventually the road would yeah. become snow-covered enough Yeah, that you just drove on the snow cover. The right. main highways would be clear, of yeah. course. But, like, you know, there'd be uh, – so people don't remember this, or at least most don't. But the 70s, which was the bulk of my childhood into the early 80s, was actually a really cold uh, season in America. And so we would have brutal snows, and it was just – it wouldn't melt. We'd have more snow yeah. – and, you know, probably like Ohio, like the, the, the trucks would come through and then there'd be giant just mountains of oh, yeah. snow, you know, for where they'd have for to. For sure. Yeah. Uh, in fact, if they're embarrassed about it now, but one of the covers of Time magazine from the 70s was uh, the coming ice age. Because mm-hmm. uh, climate uh, was global cooling, which was the, the big fear back then. Uh, but global cooling was helping my bottom line because we were, you know, that was literally right. one of the only ways we could make money in the winter was to go out there and shovel snow. I wish I had the business acumen that I have now. Oh, gosh, after, Right. Know, running a couple businesses and I, I wish i had that when i was 10 12 years old i feel like i w- could have made a lot more money and bought more baseball cards oh yeah just like the idea of upselling right you know for an extra five right. i'll do this an extra yeah. three i'll, I'll come yeah. out there and you know I'll, 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 a menu of services yeah here's some uh, sandwich bags for your uh, boots that you can put your <laughs> did you have to do that when you're a kid put yes. your feet in sandwich bags oh, or yeah. uh, like bread bags yeah do you yeah. know about this oh Micah? my mom would do that absolutely She'd yeah keep your feet dry yeah yeah well yeah we don't my, my son has no idea what that would even <laughs> I mean, and I might add that I paid a neighbor kid the 20 bucks to <laughs> What My parenting apparently sucks. I just realized, that. why am I paying my neighbor kid 20 hey, bucks? Hey, dude, if I'd have known that, I'd have driven over myself and 20 done bucks, it. 20 bucks, yeah. For 10. Oh, man. Well, those were the good old days. And we did, our staff did take advantage of this yesterday. We actually sledded yesterday uh, on the side of, side of the church property, uh, which was fun. No injuries. But it was well, fun. that's not entirely true. There oh, were did, minor injuries. I mean, some, Joey busted up his knuckles and he bloody. Did. and Yeah, he sliced it up a little bit. He walked it off. But It's the cost of, cost of doing business. The fact that nobody went to a chiropractor is the win, though. Yeah. At my good. age. I... <laughs> <laughs> we had a good time doing it. And all of that is just, uh, it was from just a really snowy winter weekend. And But what we did do is we still had services, which was really cool because we had it online. And uh, we were able to do an, an online recording of the service and, and allowed us to keep going through this sermon series, What is True About You, uh, through the book of Romans. And uh, we're, we're continuing to push through this. And we're on the back half of Romans 9 on Sunday. Mm-hmm. We wrapped it up um, in, a, in a, a teaching titled, Never Put to Shame. Never Put to Shame. Um, believing the gospel through this entire book, especially through Romans 9, that it's not shame on you, but shame off you. And we, for the astute among us, um, you know, some of them are probably wondering, did Darren intentionally skip over the whole, you know, Calvinism versus Arminianism, the free will versus determinism, which just permeates chapter 9 and 10 and 11. Um, and the answer is yes, <laughs> I did. And I did because I got 35 minutes on a Sunday morning. I got, that. Yeah. I got no time. That's part of the reason why we do this deeper podcast. Um, to go deeper. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know if you've noticed this or not, Mo, when we're doing sermon prep, but um, I was I was curious. Like, hey, I wonder what, like, what's like Tim Keller have to say about, you know, chapters 9, 10, and 11. And right. Oh, Romans. definitely. Yeah, the answer is nothing. They skip it too. Yeah, they 100% <laughs> skip it. Um like you look in there, like the Tim Keller teachings, you look in uh, John Corson, one of my favorite guys, like he'll do 9, 10, 11, like in one week. It's just like a broad sweeping Wednesday yeah. night, you know? And, yeah. Uh, and it's, yeah, look, it's dense forest that we're in here. And, you know, it does ask uncomfortable questions. It uh, forces us to ask uncomfortable questions. And I, uh, I don't know, I feel like it would behoove us to not skip over a lot of that. And so, you know, part of what I hope we can talk about today is is that because Paul, you know, one of his questions that he asks, he asks three questions in this uh in, in this chapter, 
And, and one of them is, you know, is it fair? Like, how can I be to blame if God already chose everything for me in advance? How, why am I responsible for my decisions? Um, that's a reasonable question. And, you know, we ignore it to our own peril. Um, because those are the kind of questions that if we don't talk with, about them, they, they, they creep back up again like a stomach virus. They're coming back at some point. Well, yeah. I mean, if you distill it all the way down to just uh, decisions about the food you eat, right? Like, mm-hmm. if it doesn't matter, then then I'm for sure eating some Cheetos, which is my chip of choice. Right. Um, I know yours too. Yeah. Oh gosh, I love the Cheetos. A bag of Cheetos oh. goes. Yeah, that hits the spot. You know, and some Dr Pepper and Oreos for lunch. Like, mm-hmm. but at some point, like that's going to come back around, and you have to deal with the consequences of eating just that. If you just dis- distill it down to just a basic, you know, a daily thing. Yeah. Well, with Paul, he's setting up the case for, and I guess it's probably appropriate to, to maybe pop back the lens just for a second and say, Romans 9, 10, and 11, it's almost feel, if, if you're not really paying attention, you feel like he popped the clutch on you. Mm. And we took a left turn because we're going to talk about Israel for chapters 9, 10, and 11. Then we're going to come back to talk about the practical side of what the gospel means. Right. But that's not at all what he does. This is all one thread of a story, and Israel is not an interruption of it. It is central to it. Because the question is for for the Jews, and the question for anybody that would believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which we do, um, would have to ask the question, why is it that we Gentiles— um, are, are getting invited into this conversation. God made all these promises to Abraham. Yes. Why is this going so badly for us? And so Romans 9, he deals with Israel's past. Romans 10, he's dealing with Israel's present. And then Romans 11, he's dealing with Israel's future. And so the, the chapter 9, mm. in dealing with their past, he brings in the conversation, he brings in the truth about God's sovereignty. And uh, when, when people hear that, you end up immediately, I don't know about you, but my, you know, your butt kind of puckers up a little bit because we're going to get real serious, you know, a sudden, because there's a very serious debates. I mean, there's entire, you know, churches that have split over this, entire right. denominations formed around these thoughts of, uh, like, so if you, the, the independent, independent fundamentalist Baptist church, is that the... Denomination you were in? Yes, Independent Fundamental Baptist Church. Um, KJV sixteen eleven only. Wow, was on the. I mean, that's on the sign. That was part of the. That was part of the deal. <laughs> Dude, so bro, I've seen your pastor. He doesn't look like a KJV only guy. Like he he looks like he could jump on a Harley. Well, yeah, no, that yeah. So that was like an iteration, a second iteration. Later. Oh, oh, okay, okay, okay. When we kind of broke broke off of that into more of a non-denominational answering those questions that we were all faced with. Right, okay. Um, so that was more of a, a redeeming Got it, okay. season. Um, but but still, yes, yeah, so in that in that world... Um, I think they're free will people, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. Yes. So like they make fun, like a lot of the, if you find the Independent Fundamentalist Baptist Church videos on the Twitter, uh, which are hilarious, um, they don't like reform guys even a little bit. No, 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 it's... Uh, it is it is frowned upon greatly. Yeah, um, and the world I grew up in was um, a ca- kind of a charismatic version of that. We were very much free will, um, very much if we pray hard enough, God won't. We can move God's hands, and if we don't do this, we can tie God's hands. Those were part of the theologies. That... Yeah, I mean, it's even a denomination, free will Baptist. I mean, that's a <laughs> that's true. We got a whole denomination named that, right? Yes, that's really true. Uh, you know, later in life, uh, you know. I kind of come back to this from the uh, one of the worst ways to have a theology conversation, I think, is the yeah, but, uh, the yeah, buts, um, which is, but God said, you know, he chose me, you know, yeah, but he said, choose this day. Yeah, but so you end up in the yeah, buts and the yeah, but is both Bible against Bible. So either the Bible contradicts itself or there might be a, a deeper truth here where both somehow can paradoxically be true which is what I have come to believe, that God is big enough to, uh, for, for that to be true, um, that somehow this paradox, because 
uh, Paul, when you get into verses um, 10, 11, he starts talking about uh, Isaac and uh, Rebecca and their children. And, but in the womb, you know, God had already said, Jacob, I loved Esau. I hated before he was ever born. Um, and then he asks the question, verse 14, what shall we say then? Is God unjust? You know, before Esau was ever born, God knew. And that's a, that's a reasonable question. Because it would be for us then, the decisions that I've made in my life, were, did I have any choice at all about it? I was asking you if you'd seen the, 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 the they don't even call them TV shows anymore, the series Loki uh, on Disney Plus. And, and you were not even... I mean, I've seen, I think I've seen advertisements for it, I think. I'm, I'm just not an Avengers guy. Is that an Avengers guy? All right, I guessed, I, I guessed right. Yeah, you did guess right. And I know this gets me in trouble every time we talk about it because I get texts and emails people, you know, embarrassed that I don't know <laughs> about the Avengers. Um, but I, I, I follow very, very loosely. Um, so I think I know what you, who you're talking about, the character that you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. And, and to be clear, I'm not 100% uh, an Avengers guy. I, I would be more of an Avengers guy if they quit making these movies like three hours long. <laughs> It's a lot. Like, if, like I just want to, if I'm sitting in a the theater, I want to have the forward wind button. Like, okay, we know Spider-Man's going to get in a fight. It's going to last like, you know, 30 minutes. Can we just get to the next, you know, to, to the good part? So did they do a spinoff with he's the main character? Yeah. Or like he, it's about his his life or his world? His life and his world. Okay. And the entire premise, so, you know, Loki is the, the brother of Thor. He's the, the bad guy, the villain. And Okay. And in this series, I, I I I would love to do a deep dive on who wrote the, the who were the writers behind this because it almost feels like some sort of uh, Southwestern Baptist seminary folks came together because the entire premise is uh, he is pulled out from linear time into the multiverse, and there are there are Lokis in every form of the multiverse. There are different versions of Loki. But they're all the same version in, in this way, and that they're all villains, and they were all created to, you know, create havoc and evil. And he's asking the question of, you know, why, if, if this is true, then why, you know, why do I do anything at all? I have no other purpose but to be a villain and to cause death and to, to cause destruction. And, and, and so that's the, uh, that's the entire premise of this series. Um, and I'm watching it going, golly, did this guy, is he, is he reading Romans 9? Like Loki is reading Romans 9 here? Um, and here, I will say this, at the core of it, most of us live on a day-to-day basis not asking questions this hard. We're asking questions about what is going on at my kid's school how you know do I, what do I do with these vaccine requirements? What do I do? with uh, do I homeschool them do I like others oh, those are the kind of questions we're asking that are not easy questions so we don't even get back to these deep theological underpinnings but I would like to suggest that if we did if we if we dove deep enough into it it actually brings peace to us in the other parts of our life in fact I'd go even further to say that if we don't believe that God is sovereign if we don't believe that God Whatever you define sovereign as, that God, you know, if, and let's just say for the purposes of this, the sovereign is that God has a plan since the garden that will end in Revelation and uh, or continue on in Revelation 22 into our future. But that somehow that plan, if you believe in God's sovereignty and that level of it, then everything we're seeing right now, we don't have to be uh, we don't have to be scared if, if we really believe that God's in control. Um and because uh, it doesn't mean just global, it means local, it means personal. Mm. Because when he when he's talking here about God's sovereign choice in verses six, seven, eight, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, man, these weren't they didn't know they were Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is just a guy that heard from God and said, "Go to a land I haven't showed you yet." And trust me, you know they had real life drama. They had real life family drama they had real life fights and disowning from family members and thanksgiving got super weird and you know that was their daily life and but god's sovereignty was in the middle of all of that and i know this because you can look at the bloodline of jesus and say god was in all of that i abraham isaac jacob the bloodline of jesus 
And so all of their decisions, and they make some, what I'm really encouraged by, and again, in God's sovereignty, was that, you know, Abraham made some pretty boneheaded decisions. Isaac, real boneheaded decisions. Jacob, super boneheaded decisions. And God somehow had the ability, complex, to weave those decisions into the plan that Christ would come through the bloodline of, of Jesus. And, I, you know, it really, I guess, begs the question, though, and all that is, which is the Loki question is, uh, you know, is that fair? Like, is it is it fair that God, you know, does that? And Paul's response is, you know, as, as we're getting into these verses down here, um, uh, verses 20, 19, 20, uh, let's actually start in verse 19. One of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us for who's able to resist his will? That's just another way of saying, is God fair? But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Um, and, and what I dove into a little bit on Sunday was that's a, a great response because, you know, Paul would not have even understood the, even the, 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 any more than I would, really, the complexity of how humans are created, like the miraculous way in which we were designed by God. And I pressed into that uh, a little bit. Um, and we, we did the tears, remember, um, the, the teardrop thing. Did you know about that? Yeah, you know, I, I was I, yeah, familiar with that little study that came out, what, two or three years ago, maybe? I was vaguely familiar with it. A scientist um, dissected, you know, at the molecular level almost, um, or at least the cellular level, say that, um, what a tear drop looks like under a microscope and um, and how the the pattern formed you know how like a snowflake has its own different pattern right a fingerprint has its own little pattern well tears have their own pattern based upon how that tear was formed whether it was formed through an emotion of crying or through the uh, through a reaction of cutting an onion etc cetera, etc cetera. and you 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 pulled out several of those to to give us a, a look at what different patterns looked like based upon how they were formed yeah, because it was interesting to me because uh, is Jenny a crier? Does she cry? No. I, see, I wouldn't think so. Um, Shannon cries a lot uh, about almost everything. <laughs> and which is... Happy tears and sad tears? Yeah, yeah, which is completely baffling to me. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that uh, was miraculous to me was the realization that... Uh, those tears actually are different. Like under a microscope, when you get the molecular, like tears from a, a windstorm, tears from throwing pepper juice in your eyes, tear, you know, they're all different. <laughs> but what really struck me was that the tears that uh, the, the the tears that are from anguish, from from sadness, those tears inside the the molecule. Uh, the, the the matter they're made up of are actually shaped like little crosses uh, on a microscopic level. I was like, whoa, it just blew my mind that it, at yeah, the core right. of it all that those teardrops uh, look like. And so when he talks about being um, not put to shame, like that at the very core of it are, are uh, the, the, I think it's Second Corinthians 7, that godly sorrow produces repentance. That kind of sorrow has uh, has a cross, have, have crosses in the molecules which is just the reminder, you know, and how, and how complex is God, right? That he could, uh, if we're going to design teardrops differently, that the one that's the one that leads you to repentance, the one that is sadness, that regret, whatever, is the one that actually has crosses in it because it, it reminds us that it was because of the cross that we would not be put to shame. Which for me, that's, that's, that's really cool because that's a moment of redemption, right? So he's redeemed that thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so for me in this entire sovereignty conversation, in my in transparency, um, when I look at the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and their ability to have make their own choices, and and you know you ask the question, you know how how does the Lord make things right, or how does He in the thread of all of this? It's like 
it's it's almost as if there's a moment of redemption along the way every time. Like he inserts a way to redeem the situation over and over and over again. It's as if the opportunity is there for them to stray left or right and make a choice left or right. But there's always this moment of redemption where he brings it back. Yeah. There's a course correction in that he's a redeemer. And I don't know if that's theologically correct. I think it is. Yeah, I think it's uh, what I would call a God nod. A God nod. So that's what I would hold on to for me. Like if, you know, just looking at my own life, much less historical uh, Old Testament, you know, Jacob, uh, Abraham, all of those stories that lead to Jesus. It it feels like every time that there, or even the Israelites, you know, and Pharaoh, like there's a, a redemption. There's a moment of redemption that happens where it gets back on track. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Jacob in that. Um, Jacob, uh, the the story of Jacob in Genesis is of a guy that fell in love with a hot girl named Rachel. Right. And, you know, the story is that he worked seven years and he mm-hmm. uh, ends up, you know, the, the night of the wedding and he wakes up in the morning and realizes he's been tricked and it was Leah that was yeah. the girl and he was angry and he was betrayed and he was ripped off and all of those things were true. Yeah. And imagine Leah, by the way, how hard, like just how gut wrenching it would have been. And so he then um, works another seven years and he gets Rachel, the, the, the girl that he wanted, the girl that he'd always dreamed of. And, and, uh, by the way, anybody that ever says that the Bible supports uh, polygamy, um, I don't think you're reading it quite close enough. The, what the Bible does support is people making decisions, good and bad. Uh, it, it tells the whole story; it doesn't tell just half the story. Most uh, world religions they don't they don't tell the bad stuff about their their sure. heroes of faith. Yeah. So he marries Rachel, and then she promptly makes his life miserable for him. Um, at one point she's like, give me children else I'll die, you know, cause she can't have kids. And by the way, she dies in childbirth with her second. Mm. Um, but in the middle of all that, you've got Leah sitting on the sidelines with all this chaos and these 12 tribes of Israel being born from this guy that is literally, uh, sleeping with everybody, making babies and handmaidens and trying to keep up with the, and, um, and in the middle of all that drama, in the middle of all that hurt, in the middle of all that pain, you know, Leah gives birth to a son named Judah and Jesus's bloodline was through Judah. Yeah. And the the point that I take away from that is that Jacob felt like he was betrayed, like he got screwed. Leah felt like she got betrayed, like she got screwed. And both of them later in life uh were able to look back. In fact, it, when Jacob is being buried, he actually um golly, it's in Genesis 49 maybe. You'd think he would ask, "Hey, bury me with Rachel." But he doesn't. He says, "Bury me with Leah." Right. So at some point in his life, he came to the con- you know conclusion: this is what this was. What, this was God's will for me. This thing that I thought was a betrayal, this thing that I thought was I got ripped off with, Jesus was in the middle of all of it. And by the way, Rachel gave birth to Joseph, mm-hmm. and Joseph was the one that actually saved Israel uh, in in uh, Egypt. And Jesus, Judah, would be the one that would save Israel right for eternity. Both of them, God was in all of that. So. It, it, it doesn't give you the license to go sin and do whatever, ever, whatever you want to. It just shows that God's so complex and so sophisticated that his ability to order your steps, because when he says that about the, the, the vessel saying to the creator, you know, that sounds like a real convenient argument just to, um, to, to not answer the question. Um, and, and, and I say that because most secular humanists, most scientists, most anthropologist, whatever, would reject that as, uh, as a proper answer while simultaneously believing that there are things about the way that we are created as humans individually and the way that we are created as uh, a globe, as just creation in general, that they can't explain, including why we're here to begin with. Like the... <laughs> The Big Bang Theory, this came from a Bill Bryson book, The uh, Short History of Nearly Everything. Um, that's the title. That's the title, Bill Bryson. Uh, a Short History of Nearly Everything. But when he's talking about the way that the world came into being, this is his uh, 
This is his synopsis of all these guys that he's interviewed. And it says that uh, it's natural but wrong to visualize the singularity. So before creation, before anything, before the universe, whatever, uh, the Big Bang Theory is that there was something called the singularity. Um, and he says it's wrong to visualize it is kind of a pregnant dot hanging in a dark, boundless void because there is no space, no darkness. The singularity has no around around it. There is no space for it to occupy, no place for it to be. We can't even ask how long it's been there, whether it just lately popped into being like a good idea or whether it has been there forever, quietly awaiting the right moment because time doesn't even exist. There is no past for it to emerge from. So just the creation of the world itself, uh, whoever you are spouting wisdom into the, you know, whatever, you, you have to at some point say, I, we don't even understand how this works. And what is his take? I mean, he's a... Secular humanist. So what is Ag- he... Ag- he would say agnostic. What does he attribute right. then um, to how this began? <laughs> like, he what's actually, his conclusion? He quotes a physicist at one point, uh, an astrophysicist who says... Uh, you know, we don't know. Maybe there have been millions of universes, and maybe this is just one of those things that just happens from time to time in a universe. Hmm. But th- the answer is they don't know. They don't know. And the, uh, which is not a very gratifying answer. So this is, by the way, this is fascinating. One of the ways that they discovered and proved the Big Bang were these couple of scientists in Boston. They had been pointing microphones and s- satellite dishes and cleaning pigeon poop off, trying to make it work, whatever. And, uh, and, and when they finally discovered there was this energy that's still coming, um, and this is true, like that uh, when you turn on a TV station right now and there's no station, like it's just static. Does that actually happen anymore? Do people have TVs where That's they're static? That's a question. Like in the old days, we had to, like we had static on the TV. <laughs> um, 1% of the dancing static on any channel uh, that you don't receive on TV is a remnant of the Big Bang. Uh, so like the next time you say there's nothing on, you could actually watch the birth of the universe. So just turn on, you know, turn on a TV. Um, but but the point is, uh, th- they discovered that this these, uh, this energy that was coming in that they couldn't explain, but it actually then proved uh, the the Big Bang, um, and and in that was created these things called atoms, right? Which is the building blocks of society. And again, the, you know, Paul used the lump of clay, how the clay, because that's the you know, that's the the creator, the potter, the vessel. You know, that's the language that they understood. The the clay uh, is uh, is atoms. We're all made of atoms. You and I are made of atoms. We're sitting here in atoms. And what they figured out, um, which took forever for anybody to really grasp, because it really is true that inside of an atom, there's way more un, uh, empty space than there is actually. Hard. So you, you and I appear to be really solid people right now. Dense. Dense. But we're not. At the core of who we are, atoms are almost all empty space. Like if you were to blow up uh, an atom to the size of, I think, like a period at the end of a sentence here. and to Magnify uh, it. Right, where the electrons would be, that would be the, new, you know, the, the core of it. The, the electrons would be like uh, uh, you know, hundreds of feet away. And, and somehow we don't pass through each other. It's, it's, they think gravity is what they say um, is why we don't. But literally, when you get down to the, the quantum mechanics of this whole thing, they don't understand that either. Yeah. Well, they're experimenting with it. Um, yeah, the the, uh, the CERN uh, Large Hadron Collider is about to ramp back up in about a month, maybe. Yeah, and so they're taking. Uh, if you if you don't know about the CERN, C E R N, which I don't remember what it stands for. Actually, no, it's a city. So CERN is in Switzerland. So that's the city in Switzerland that the Large Hadron Collider. LHC exists, and it's a, I believe, a 17-mile radius, um, super-conducted electromagnetic tunnel where they're trying to smash atoms at, at, at almost or at the speed of light yeah. to see what will happen. And at the core of it, they're looking for what this theory of the Higgs-Boson, Boson, whatever, Boson, Boson. particle which has been dubbed the God particle. The God particle. <laughs> At the core of it all, you know. Millions upon millions, maybe billions of dollars, are spent on this on this project. What's uh, a funny aside of it all is that if you look at the CERN um, logo, uh, it is a an atom. With a, So it's like what we would traditionally, and maybe they've changed it uh, since I've last seen it, but... 
it's the traditional image that you would have seen in a classroom or whatever of a which was basically created by a Japanese artist of a uh, of like a, a the atom is like a little dot in the middle with uh, dots that are rotating around the outside of it like planets orbiting around a sun. They've changed the logo, by the uh, way. They, okay, well, and the, it's it's even more frightening. Oh, geez. Well, here's why th- th- this was hilarious at the time. That's actually that Japanese model of an atom is incorrect. Oh, really? Like it's not like a it, it, electrons are not like a little planet floating around another planet. They're more like flan, fan blades rotating around everywhere and nowhere at the same time. Um, that's what an electron does. It's everywhere and it's nowhere. The, wow. The, but. What is it now? Do I want to know? Um, yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah, it's 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 unbelievable. If you pull it up, just type in into your uh, into your Google, into your DuckDuckGo. Right. Uh, C E R N logo, CERN logo, and it's uh, it's it's hard to believe. Um, I'm really not sure where they're taking the imagery from, but it's for sure a. Uh, there's three sixes involved. Um, what am I seeing? What am I- yeah, I mean, those are basically, I mean, you're looking at it. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and uh, there's been quite a bit of conversation about this, actually, if you, if you look Why online. Did, do these people not read? Do they not? Uh, like, we're trying to, we're sitting over here trying not to be conspiracy theory people. <laughs> right. And meanwhile, Jared Kushner's buying a building at 666, you know, street address, and these folks are putting 666 in the freaking logo. Yeah, so, yeah, it's hard to describe maybe uh, over over the air here, but it's basically three sixes in a rotating manner. Um, and so it's supposed to kind wow. of symbolize this rate, this uh, not helpful, this tunnel that's in the circuit, these two circular tunnels that, that, that they're using to, to collide these atoms. So, wow. yeah, that's a, that's a whole other deep dive. But well, here's why it is because that number in Revelation of 666, um, it's kind of funny when you see it like this or you see it on a street address or whatever. But seven is the number of perfection, right? Or it's the number of God, it's the number of completion. Six is almost God, but not quite. And what we talked about when we went through Revelation was that the, the idea of 666 is that you are actually marked by what you worship. Yes. And so if you're worshiping science and humanism and, you know, uh, enlightenment and all, you're going to be marked by what you worship. If you're marked by the God of the universe, you're going to be marked by him uh, in the way you live and the way you think and the way you implement life. And so they uh, – and it, it, the, the imagery is 666, which, you know, is – Clearly, what, what, I don't know if they meant that or not, but that's sure what it looks well, like. Well, supposedly it's taken from a uh, a Hindu oh, mythological worse. creature. Oh, gosh, even worse. Named Nataraja, which is a depiction of the Hindu god Shiva uh, as the divine cosmic dancer. That's what that logo is supposed to be representative of. And there's again th- this whole CERN project. Um, is a is it's a whole podcast in and of itself. If you guys are being you know want to know more about that, get really nerdy and and, and find a, a rabbit hole. Um, look that up. Point being, this has happened. This is actively happening where they're trying to find this god particle. Yeah. Like in the next month, they are going to turn this machine on, and they literally do not know. There's a bunch of articles that are starting to yeah. surface about it over the past few weeks because they are turning the machine back on this is they 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 started this about a decade ago they've they've been upgrading it and testing it and testing it and testing it they've they've run run it several times but they've had a three-year break turn it off three years ago i forget why other than to upgrade the machine ran out of gas (laughs) right about to flip the switch though i think in february um again to see quote unquote to see what could happen and there's all kinds of speculation like will it open up a wormhole will it cause a black hole um, they just don't know, but they want to. They want to see. Yeah. Well, the thing that is amazing and remarkable is that the stuff that we would have grown up like in, you know, Isaac Asimov and fantasy. You know, there is the, the deeper someone goes into uh, why we're here and how we were created on a scientific side. The deeper you get into that there are things that are beyond and they begin to sound exactly like religious questions. Yeah, yeah for sure. And so the idea of the multiverse, the idea of, of string theory, you know, the, the entire stranger things. Yeah. It's permeating through culture, right? Yeah. Like through through movies and, and, and TV shows, whether it's stranger things and the string theory, multiverse, which has taken over all things Avengers and Spider-Man, um, the, just the idea of a metaverse, even 
is a kind of a spin on this, that there's these multiple digital worlds happening at the same time that we can be a part of. Um, One of the things that Bryson wrote in his book was that, you know, as physicists began to delve into the subatomic realm, they realized it wasn't merely different from anything we knew, but different from anything we had ever imagined. Interesting. And um, so the God particle, which he actually, this, I actually want to get back to that chapter. This book was written probably 2008. I don't remember. Um, but the CERN, uh, it had not come online yet. And he actually talks about the God particle in this book and what, you know, with the implications of that and the search. And so I actually want to go back and read that and see how it held up, you know, his theories of, right. held up as uh, what they did discover in the last few years. And um, w- what I know, the comp- so I, on the one hand, it's like you're looking at what it looks like when a group of people decide we are God, we have to figure out uh, this is the Tower of Babel all over again. We come together, we can create, we can build our own. A thousand percent. I mean, know. that's exactly where we're at. Yeah. I, I watched a uh, documentary on uh, on the Hulu uh, a couple weeks ago about the WeWork guy, um, which was utterly fascinating. This guy, uh, if, you, if you don't know what WeWork is, this guy came out of nowhere, raises, you know, basically billions of dollars to, you know, for a shared office space. Um, but at the core of it all was this kid that's 25 years old from Israel um, who was trying to f- create a new way to work, a new way for – all the investors are like, well, this is basically a real estate play. We're going to – you just rent a little space in here and, you you know – but that wasn't his idea. His idea was we're going to come together in unity, and if we can do this together, and you start hearing his pitches to his employees, and we, we could solve world hunger. We can come together and, like, actually, you're just making a real estate play here. Like, you're just literally renting offices at the end of the day. I rented offices, and I didn't solve world hunger. But, but the, um, at, at the core of mankind, uh, without God, these are the, you know, and they always come apart at some point. This guy's company to solve world, you know, hunger by renting offices, you know, he ends up, you know, he ends up rich, but the company is imploding and investors are losing money. And because, it, you know, the core, we're all coming back to the fact that we are sinners in need of a savior, that the story of God is a story of a man uh, of us who needed a savior and who God in his unimaginable, because I mean, the, the idea that he could even do this, create this stuff, um, the story of salvation, could we believe it? Could we so to me, like even looking at the, the, the frustration that I would have on the question of how is it fair for if you're Pharaoh, right? How is it fair? How do I explain for me, for, for those that, you know, uh, for, for Hagar and not for uh, Sarah, right? You know, uh, getting the wives wrong, sorry. <laughs> um, I, I, the, and the answer is I don't know. But by the way, the answer for uh, trying to understand science uh, remember heisenberg from uh from breaking bad say my name say my name <laughs> i'm the one who knocks um you know walter white gives himself the, the 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 name heisenberg um which you know most kids didn't pay attention in class or science wouldn't remember that that's the guy that came up with the theory of quantum mechanics and the idea of quantum mechanics was that you know, trying to explain the atom that the electrons are everywhere and nowhere at the same time. Like they're coming from here to there, but they're never, they don't, there's no path that they take, which means that they, and so when he was asked, because um, if this seems confusing, it is because it's confusing. So when Heisenberg, when asked was how, how could someone envision an atom? He says, don't try. At the, at the end of the day, like he can't understand it either. Yeah. So if we can't understand an atom, if we can't understand the Big Bang, if, we, if we've spent at this point hundreds of billions of, or hundreds of millions at least, probably billions of dollars in the CERN for the Large Hadron Collider to try to discover the God particle, and we're still not quite there yet. We might have accidentally punched a hole in the universe. Um, how can we understand the guy that created it then? Right? We, we can't. Yeah. And the, the, the struggle that I have to bring it back to, we were talking global, local, but personal, is when I hear somebody say, uh, uh, no, God, God would never do this because I, you know, and the idea is because I wouldn't do it. Um, but is it possible that the God that created, you know, atoms of the, the building blocks of the universe, the God that hung a singularity on nothing, is it possible that he might know some stuff I don't know? Is it possible that there's some stuff that I don't understand that he's doing 
that someday I will understand, will fully know as I'm fully known, Corinthians says. And if so, then can I just rest in that, that somehow the Bible clearly says that what I do does matter. My choices matter. There are consequences and benefits to decisions that I make. And the Bible says that all of my steps are ordered by the Lord, that God is. And, and that doesn't make God smaller. It actually makes him bigger. And I don't remember which theologian said it, but a God big enough to be understood is not a God big enough to be worshipped. And to put it differently, that if the God that I'm serving would only do what I say, would only, would only make decisions I agree with, would only say things I agree with, that God is actually not God, that's me. And I'm putting myself in the CERN-Hadron Collider, but not in science, but in theology. Yes, and humanists are, um, they are playing God. I mean, they, they, they truly believe that. They, they cannot think of submitting themselves to, to God in this way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of, the, one of the guys that's kind of helping lead this conversation on the humanist side is a guy by the name of Yuval Harari. And um, he's a Jewish professor and he's a futurist. He's a historian. He's one of the one of the guys that the um, World Economic Forum leans on for how things are going to play out. And um, one of the things that he has stated is that disease, old age and death are basically technical problems that they can be solved. And so (laughs) and so uh, they are trying to separate like we're talking about. They're trying to separate this idea of. Um, in, intelligence and consciousness. So if they can, so that that's the whole idea behind the artificial intelligence movement. The whole idea behind um, this biotechnology that w- they don't have to necessarily discover the God particle. Particle they can just override it. They can upgrade it. They can control it through biotech, through AI. These are things that are happening right now. We can see it all over the place, right? Um, and so, but to think that these humanists that are in power right now across the globe, speaking into um, all kinds of things, to, for them to say that disease, old age, death are basically technical problems that can be solved and that are being solved by modern science, it's a scary thought. Yeah, the... The thing that I've, I find intriguing, and I've, I've actually, it's funny, you mentioned that guy's book, um, Yuval, and I'm such a dork, because the buy it now button on Amazon is literally the death of me. <laughs> um, Do you have a budget for these things? <laughs> but there's books that come out like that that I'm like, oh man, that sounded really, apparently at some point that sounded incredibly fascinating to me. Yeah. So I've got, I already bought it. It's in my Kindle. Well, I didn't understand read it. I had not read it yet. I just hadn't even. Which one? Um... 21 reason something 21st century uh 21st century yeah i think i probably got that and jordan peterson at the same time i ended up reading jordan peterson's but um but this uh you know reading this guy's writings and, and by the way it's it's not lost on me that he's uh that he's jewish right um not in an anti-semite way at all but in a uh paul is talking about the people of israel in the present in romans 10 which we're going to get to are blinded um, for now, because, you know, f- friends of mine that are Jewish friends, you know, they, one of the questions we, we joke about, but it's really kind of a serious question, which is, we'll know, uh, when we, when, when Jesus returns and we ask him, is this your first time? Um, cause the Jewish people will believe that he hasn't come yet. And we'll be like, oh, this is a second stop uh, on it. But, but in the meantime, uh, God's blessings on the Jewish people still stand yeah. in the present. And so it's not some dark, you know, cabal of Jewishness that's, you know, controlling the world. They say, hey, God made a promise to, you know, I'll bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. And, but they also are blinded. In, in Paul's writings, he's writing in Romans here to, uh, as a guy that used to be the, the Jewish guy that was scourging everybody, used to be the guy that was abusing everybody, now saying to the Jewish people that are continuing in, in Jerusalem to abuse and to, you know, persecute whatever. Um, but God has a plan for them. Uh, which was a big deal. It would almost be like saying, uh, this is a little bit of a stretch, but it's as roughly analogous as I could get in our modern context of saying like Osama bin Laden, God still loves him, which he does, by the way. Well, he had his chance. Um, 
but God still loves them, and so we need to reach out to them, which is a very true statement. We need to for our Islamic brothers and sisters. So to that, it is analogous. But in this day and age, it was uh, the, the roughly analogous is that they were actually, not only were they the ones persecuting uh, Christians, they were the ones chosen by God through Abraham. So there's a lot of confusion from people who were Christians that were Jewish, uh, as well as Jewish people. Uh, or Gentiles are like, man, will these guys quit harassing us? Like, we're just trying to, you know, do our thing here. Why is this such a big deal? Um, and Paul's saying to them that God God still had a plan for them, uh, just like today. So when you see, uh, I, I'm not surprised to know that this guy was uh, Jewish. Uh, look, I'm not even surprised right now that Israel was the first one to jump on uh, vaccines like they did. I mean, they went in with, I mean, they dove headfirst into the pool. Yeah, they, they led the... They led most of the, even the tech around the Vax Pass, the the Green Pass. Yeah. And they're, I think we're fourth booster now to get into Israel. We just lost a trip. We were supposed to be there in February. Uh, but, you know, we went from Vax to, we know we need a booster to now we need a fourth one. Uh, yeah, and Israel was, we needed within three. But, you know, but the, the, I will say the benefit of Israel is that they're the ones that at least have the data right now to show that, hey, this is the reason we knew that uh, the the vaccine was wearing off, that it didn't have efficacy for very long. The reason we know about natural immunity was not because of the CDC, but because of Israel. Right. Because um, they were the first ones in. They, they've embraced technology like crazy over there. So it's not surprising to me that you'd see a Jewish guy uh, writing these kinds of crazy things. And sidebar, um, Israel has uh, broken a record um, today for the most daily cases Uh in the world, oh Lord, um, and they are quad quad vaxxed, um, mask mandate, and booster passports, and lead the world in cases. For what it's worth, <sighs> for what it's worth. Sidebar, sidebar. For those making decisions on whether you're gonna, you know, get your booster, um, is just not for long. Yeah. Um, the booster, honestly, the the actual booster is this Omicron. I mean, that's your booster. I mean, they're starting to say that language, actually. Like getting getting Omicron. Getting is Omicron is your booster. That is, it's it's very mild, um, and they they're starting to use language like if you get it, it's actually probably a good thing because you are getting an antibody boost. Right. Well, there was an op-ed this morning in Wall Street Journal that was very prominent, and basically that very thing was Omicron is give is going to give this uh, super immunity. It's a, it's a back yeah. to a case for. Um, herd immunity. Herd immunity. Uh, science is known all along. <laughs> yeah, like, like this is some brand new piece of information that we just figured out. But yeah, well, no, we've known this for a while. Um, wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. And isn't it funny? We're, always, we're back there again. Like, we're back. Uh, but I would say it's, it's, in our, it's our lives. It's permeating everywhere right now. And even that, we can make a choice to get worked up and angry about it, which, you know, most sees me around the office more than most. And, you know, I, I have a proclivity towards that. Or I can take a step back and say, okay, God's not surprised by any of this. God has already been. Uh, the reason he was able to, in the words of Job, hang the world on nothing is uh, because he was there before the world. And so that means he'll be there after the world. It means he's already been there. And again, when you start talking about time and multiverses and all those things, you know, God fits so perfectly into all of that, that whatever's happening right now with this nonsense, um, it's like we can, we can make decisions that are informed. We can make decisions that are uh, wise, biblical, and not have to get scared or angry uh, about it if, if we believe that God is sovereign. Because, uh, I mean, if, if a lot of the prophecy you read of like Ezekiel or whatever in the future, you know, some of it, like one of the, I think it's Ezekiel 37, when he talks to, you know, uh, I'm going to put a hook in your jaw and, you know, to Gog and Magog and drag you down into Israel. Like, even that war is God is in the middle of that uh, putting pieces in place. Yeah. And if you remember a year and a half ago, we, uh, when we started the podcast, actually, we were going through the book of revelation. That's what launched this podcast. <laughs> we were going through the book of revelation. Um, and we felt like we needed an extra outlet from a Sunday to dive into details, um, that are in that study that are in that book, um, of which is prophecy. Right. Yep. And for, for us that know that have read the book and that know how things will play out. 
and have played out, a lot of what you're seeing in the world today over the past 18 months have inched us closer to those things being fulfilled. Yeah. No doubt about it. And there's an enormous amount of peace in that. Like when you take the, the lens of the way that God sees this versus the way that we see it on a daily basis. Um, that God is sovereign enough to figure this stuff out, sovereign right. enough to, uh, from the beginning of time to the end of time. Um, again, something, by the way, that uh, the fact that time had a beginning right. was a pretty mind-blowing idea, but it was it was in the Bible. The Bible's not meant to be a scientific book. It was never... But nothing in here conflicts with the scientific record. Right. Which is um, really cool. Yeah. Like, uh, it doesn't contradict the archaeological record. And every time they think it does, they'll, you know, some new finding. I guess over there we did find, you know, here's Joseph's name and here's hundreds of examples. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so this book was meant to be more than that. But the idea that uh, the world was hung on nothing, that the, within three minutes, less than three minutes, the world came into being, you know, that, you know, uh, and, and, you know, this is a whole other podcast too, but, you know, the, the literal seven days of creation versus, you know, uh, the, the idea of what a day means in Hebrew. Uh, it, it, the, 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 we can go through all of that, but know that God created this in the way that he created it. He will get us through this. He'll get us, if he, if he could do that, like if he could hang the world on nothing, could he not hang your world on something? Um, yeah, there you go. And that's, I mean, he can because that's, you know, not to be glib, but that's the whole premise of uh, whoever believes in me will never be put to shame. Who believes on Christ will be, never be put to shame because Christ was put to shame on our behalf. That's right. So while the world was hung on nothing, the world that God created was then a cross was put on that world and Jesus hung from that to be our sacrifice, to be the one that would you know, pay for the blood of the sins that I've committed uh, redeem it, redeem it. And, and because of that, then the shame for what I have done, what you have done, what anyone is listening has done was absorbed in that moment, which is why Israel continued to be put to shame because they kept trying to hang themselves on their works, hang their lives and their hopes on their religion, hang their hopes on their status in society. And none of that stuff can sustain uh, the, the weight of humanity. And for us as believers, if we are hanging our hopes on anything but Jesus, who hung on a cross for us, we're going to hang it on something like government, we're going to hang it on science, we're going to hang it on, that ultimately always comes back to whether it's the WeWork uh, company, whether it's, um, the, the, I mean, literally right now we're trying to fight a virus that we can't fight. I mean, the, think of the arrogance of that alone. We could, just, we could stop a microscopic virus. How humbling is it to know that we can't do that? Uh, and it, it just, I think that stuff all just brings us back to Jesus, brings us back to Jesus, brings us back to Jesus. Because without that, uh, there is no hope. And we are put to shame. We wrap up chapter 9, heading into verse 10. What's the, what's the overarching thought? Yeah, chapter 10 is amazing because it's Israel's present. And for us, what, I, I, what I'm really jumping out at me is, Everybody I know right now seems to be really uh, different versions of uh, story or narrative. Like your, um, uh, my friend Don wrote a book. It's about story. You know, the, which story you're going to believe? Uh, the guy named Ian Cron just wrote a story, the story of you, and it's about the idea of like your story. Whatever whatever story you believe you're in um, will affect on uh, how you behave, um, which is true. It's like when you go to a therapist, they don't tell you give me the facts. Hey, tell me, uh, give me the facts here. They say, what's your story? Tell me your story. Uh, humans were created to understand life in framework of story. That that's a true thing. Like that's how God wired us to be. Um, that's why the Bible is not a book of facts, but a story. The story, one story, by the way, the redemption from Genesis to Revelation. And so, what the the, the main theme here is is the story that Israel believes still is a story of them working to get to God, being good enough. Um, but that's uh, the question will be this what's the best story to, to live from if ian cron is right and it's about your story if don miller is right and it's about your story uh 
if, if, if Klaus Schwab is right. His new book. The new book. Yeah, the, Mo brought that up yesterday. I'm like, mic drop. The follow-up to The Great Reset is a new book he just released last week called The Great Narrative. Right? And his, I mean, dude, this guy, again, so, you know, Satan's not, Satan's not a creator. He's a copier. That's right. And so his idea, if I, if I, we, they're learning, we, if the facts aren't going to change things, but if we can tell the right story, so his, his story of equity and humanity and, you know, this, even his accent, like he just sounds creepy, like, oh, it's incredible. Um, but the great narrative. And so the question is, what story is the true story? That's the one we better be hanging our hats on. Yes. Because uh, I can make up a story about who I am. And most of us are living out of a false story, mm. just automatically based upon things that have happened in our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I'm going to adapt it to the true story, I better or to the story. I better adapt it to the true story because that's the only one that can last the test of time. So that's uh, that's the core of this. Yeah, that's of good. Time. That'll be really good. Looking forward to that. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for for tuning in and listening. Thank you for being a part of our uh, Conduit Deeper podcast family. Um, we're going to be back at it again next week. You know the drill. All of our stuff's at conduitchurch.com. Find us at YouTube to catch up on prior um, teachings. And maybe even, if you think about it, maybe scroll down past uh, several of these podcasts to maybe, like I said, a year and a half ago when we launched and we were in the book of Revelation because some of this stuff's starting to pop up, you know, and it, it does apply. And so maybe catch some of our older episodes there as well. We appreciate you listening. Thanks for tuning in.